You are listening to a Bible-based message from River Rock Church in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. Go to riverrockchurch.com for more information and resources. Now here's today's encouraging message from Pastor Chris Tyen. The next day, the great crowd that had gathered heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. This crowd praised him. They celebrated his miracles and with great expectation told everyone about him. But they did not know him. They were waiting for someone who would rule with strength and might, but he came as a humble servant. They wanted him to finally bring their people glory, but he wanted to change them so their lives would bring God glory. They were expecting a general who would crush their enemies, but he came saying, love your enemies. They thought he could offer them deliverance from their oppressors, but he came offering deliverance from sin. This crowd would soon realize that Jesus wasn't going to be what they wanted, and they turned on him before they ever realized he was what they needed. So as they yelled, Crucify! Pilate asked Jesus, Are you a king? Jesus answered, I am not that kind of king. His kingdom isn't what you see here. It won't be established by chaos and war. His kingdom is in our hearts. His kingdom is truth. His kingdom is goodness. His kingdom is righteousness. He is the humble king, the king of healing, the king of forgiveness, the king of love. Today, we lift our voices. We cry, Hosanna, save us. Save us from our sin. Come dwell in our hearts. Hosanna, we worship you. Jesus Christ, our King. It's Palm Sunday, and a lot of times we talk about Jesus entering Jerusalem and everybody, all the fans going wild and how great that was. A long time ago, we used to have a Good Friday service, but that wasn't very well attended, so we don't do that. Someday when we have our own building, we will. So kind of crushing them all together between what we'd say Palm Sunday and a Good Friday service. To talk about Jesus on the cross, Jesus covering the cost of our sin, the great need that we have, and Jesus when He is on the cross. So in Luke chapter 23, it talks about Jesus heading to the cross. He did so on purpose, fully knowing what was going to happen. He wasn't a victim. He wasn't taken off guard. His plans did not go wrong. He planned from the very beginning to teach us how to live and then to die for our sin. And the Bible talks a lot about that. Matter of fact, it was prophesied before Jesus even came in Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. So Jesus was going to come and then Jesus came and did exactly what he needed to do. And we 
can look back on that with great joy and delight to know that sin has been paid for if we believe and receive, believe in Jesus and receive the payment for that. One thing that God wants us all to do is admit we are sinners that need a Savior. And hopefully you already have. I know a lot of you, I know a lot of you have already come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But this is a question that we need to be asking of everybody around us is are they ready to admit they're a sinner that needs a Savior? And are we ready to help them to find that Savior so that they too can spend eternity in God's presence and not eternity separated from God? That is so important that we do that. The seven last sayings of Jesus in the Bible that are listed as Jesus is on the cross for about six hours. One, Father, forgive them. Two, today you will be with me in paradise. Three, woman, behold your son. He told Mary to John. Uh, then there's three hours of darkness where Jesus is silent. Then Jesus asks, why have you forsaken me? Uh, he says, I thirst. It is finished. And Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And I just wanted to focus on that one. Today, you will be with me in paradise. And ask the question, what is paradise? Who gets to go to paradise? Is paradise for us? And where was Jesus those three days? Well, he had died before he rose again. Jesus was on a rescue mission and he went to the cross on purpose. Everything that Jesus did led up to the cross. He trained up the disciples knowing he was headed for the cross. For some reason, the disciples' eyes or minds were, were kind of blinded or veiled and they didn't totally get it or comprehend what was going on until it actually happened. But Jesus was the solution to so many problems. Jesus was, is the solution to so many questions that we have. So in Luke chapter 23, in the crucifixion story, starting at verse 33, it says, when they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him. They nailed Jesus to the cross. And the criminals, these thieves, were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. Many of these things actually were prophesied and are answers to prophecy. But Continuing on, the crowd watched and the leader scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he's really God's Messiah, the chosen one. And the soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. And as I was preparing this message, I read all these Bible commentaries and it's amazing how many debates there are over all of the different things in Scripture and the different views people have come up with. But one of them was, what was Jesus saying? Was he really saying to the criminal that was putting his faith in Jesus at that time, today you're going to be with me in paradise? Like, this is going to be over pretty soon and we're going to be together? Some Bible scholars said, no, no. He was saying, I assure you today, comma, you'll be with me in paradise sometime. Others say, Jesus was saying no. He's saying that today, like your body's going to still be on this cross, 
my body's going to be in a tomb, but we're going to be together in paradise. And most Bible scholars and most credible Bibles will put the comma, if there is one, in the right place and say that Jesus is saying to this criminal on the cross, the one who didn't, he didn't go to church, he didn't uh, tithe, he, he wasn't baptized, he wasn't dedicated as a child, he didn't, he didn't do all that stuff most likely, but at the very last minute, before he was about to die, maybe in the six hours while Jesus was on the cross and he was seeing all this happen, he realized that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, and that by believing in Him, by putting His trust in Him, by asking to be forgiven, by repenting of sin, and asking Jesus to save Him at that last moment, right before He dies, that would be awesome because that would solve His problem because the guy probably doesn't want to die. And so He asks. And Jesus nods in pain, but says, yes, I assure you today, you will be with Me in paradise. And there's so much hope in that verse. So much hope for us as believers to know that when we die in Christ, we go directly into the presence of Jesus. Our bodies might be still on the ground, still at the accident scene uh, in the morgue or in the cemetery. Our bodies might be there. There'll be a resurrection of the a bodily resurrection someday the Bible talks about. But our souls, our spirits go to be in the presence of Jesus. And that there's so much hope in that. And the Bible doesn't give us every detail about you know, what happens or what that's like. Uh, the original um, word paradise had to do with like a park, a happy place, and, um, but it's so much more. So it's synonymous to heaven, so it's not the city of heaven that comes later, but paradise is synonymous with heaven, and it is the place where Jesus is, and that is an awesome thing. Number one, be with me. Our sins keep us from being with Jesus. Jesus said, you will be with me. And that needs to be the desire of every one of us to be with Jesus. So many people wait until the end of their lives and they think, you know, well, I'm going to do my own thing. And then when I get older, maybe I'll start going to church. When I get older, maybe I'll start, I'll start following Jesus. You know, when I do the other stuff I want to do and it's all done, when I settle down, maybe I'll follow Jesus. But following Jesus every day, no matter how young you are, no matter how many exciting adventures you have, is so much better. He can make your, make your plans succeed. He can help you through. He gives you hope and a purpose for living. And you can take His message and share it with others. Be with me, number one. Today you will be with me. And our sins keep us from being with Jesus. So our sins. Sin separates us from God. Isaiah 59.2 It's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, He has turned away and will not listen anymore and sin separates from God. Jesus is the answer to that sin. In Proverbs 14.12, it says many people think they can take care of sin on their own. There's a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. They think, well, I'm, I'm a pretty good person, so I'm okay. I, Jesus is probably going to accept me because I'm nice. I, I'm a good moral person. I do the things that are right. Or I'm religious, so I do all these, I give all my money to, this, to the church, or I, I, I worship God in the woods. Uh, all these things they do, but they come up short. They have religion, but they don't have the righteousness and the relationship that comes through Jesus. And so there's a path that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads in death, in eternal death. And we need to follow God's plan. We need to share God's plan. We need to share the message as it's been presented in the Bible. You know, when Jesus first started preaching, his first message was about good news. Mark 1.15, he had just been tempted 
uh, in the wilderness by Satan. And he comes out, and this is his first sermon. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. The gospel, that was Jesus' first message, which totally fit with Luke 19.10 that said about Jesus, the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. That was Jesus' mission. He expressed that as his mission. So the Bible is full of good news and bad news. The bad news is, Romans 3.23, for everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Did you know this verse? I'm pretty sure you memorized this verse. But if you really think about it and internalize it, we all sin. Every one of us have sinned. There's not any person that you work with. There's not any person that you uh, admire that hasn't sinned somehow. Uh, but everyone has sinned. But the good news is, Verse 24, yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed His life, shedding His blood. The sacrifice shows that God was being fair when He held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. I mean, you think about Adam and Eve. God could have just said, you know, Adam and Eve, I gave you some pretty specific directions that you're not supposed to disobey me and eat of that fruit and do that thing. And you know what? <laughs> Sorry, you lose. Uh, you're done. You know, I'm going to recreate. I'm going I'm to start over. You know, turn you back into dust and clay or whatever, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start again. And uh, maybe we'll get it a couple that, that gets it together. But no, he held off in his great patience. He waits for many of us to come into a personal relationship, many of us to be saved, many of us to turn from sinners to saints, many of us to stop building our testimony as, as wicked people and to start living for Christ. I highly do not invite, encourage you to be doing a bunch of bad things and say, oh, I'm building my testimony so that I can more effectively share Jesus in the future because you're only hurting yourself. So the most, best thing you can do is keep growing in Christ. The best testimony ever is I grew up in a Christian home. I got saved in an early age. I've been following and serving Christ all the days I can remember. Best testimony ever. Um, I was a hitman in the mafia and I sold drugs and laundered money and I went to jail for a bit, but then I got saved and came out and people are like, oh, that sounds so interesting. Let's go hear that. But actually it's like, that sounds really depressing. Your life was a mess. I'm glad that you turned around, but I think that the person who said they grew up in Christ and have been following all the days of their life is way better off. Romans 6.23, bad news, for the wages of sin is death. Good news, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So free gift means that if God offers us a gift and it's free, we would want to receive that. We would want to internalize that, make it ours. And that's what we can do when we come into a right relationship with Jesus Christ. There's so many times when people are offering me, offering me free stuff and I'm looking at it going, uh, what's the catch? You know, there's no such thing as a free meal. If I come and listen to your presentation, uh, what, I get a free TV, but why? Why am I getting a steak dinner and a free TV just to hear something? I'm, so there's got to be more. So, but this is different. So God cares about you and loves you so much. He wants to give you so much more than just salvation. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. You know, John 3.16, that this is how God's loved the world. He gave His one and only Son that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. And we know that, that God loves us so much that He gave us the choice to believe, that He gave us an opportunity to believe. And some theologians will debate whether or not if you have a choice or if you've just been 
pre-elected and foreordained and you're going to respond the way that God foreknew. And that's just a topic for a different day. But just assume that God's holding you accountable for the choice that you make to receive or reject Jesus. Don't walk around and say, well, I'm not predestined or I don't feel like I'm supposed to be one of those. But just if the Holy Spirit gives you opportunity and convicts you and says, come to Jesus, you need to do that. And I'm pretty sure that everybody in the sound of my voice has an opportunity to respond and turn to Jesus. But the bad part, the bad news, is that John 3.36 says anyone, well, this is a good part actually, anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. That's awesome. Bad news, anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remain under God's angry judgment. And when I look in the Bible and I look at what it says about hell and eternal separation from God, and Jesus talked a lot about hell, I think, man, that seems harsh. How can that be? Isaiah 55 says that God's mind isn't like our mind, that it's different. His ways are higher than our ways. And so I look at that and I'm like, well, I can't comprehend it. I don't understand how someone could be eternally separated from God in hell with existence that never ends. And it's just so much easier to say, well, you know, probably just they just cease to exist. Or probably just figurative. But that's not what the Bible says. And so I never want to assume something that I want just because it seems more comfortable or just because it seems... Uh, like it would uh, make more sense in my mind because God is holy, God is just, God is eternal. And so the Bible talks about it. We need to take the Bible at face value. And when it talks about being eternally separated from God, that's a pretty serious thing. And Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, those who believe are saved and God saved you by His grace. When you believed and you can't take credit for this, it's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. So We are saved when we believe in Christ and He does it by His grace, not because we did all the good things, not because we did everything right, not because we followed the list perfectly, not because we kept a bunch of rules or prayed five times a day or memorized uh, uh, the whole Bible or whatever. Salvation is a gift from God. And when we get to heaven, we will celebrate that and give Jesus all the credit for us. So Romans 5 talks about how, how intense that is and how Awesome that is. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance. And that all started at the cross when Jesus died on that cross and opened the door for our salvation and for all of these opportunities and peace with God and all of the things, the undeserved privilege of all these things, the confidence that we have, the confidence that I have that if I were to die right now, I'm going into the presence of Jesus. So there's no doubt about it. The thing that always sticks in my mind is as soon as I die, I'm going to ask myself, okay, so that was it? That's what you had written for the plan of my life? That's how, that's how we end? So the near-death experience is usually end up with, okay, so is, is this it? I've never said, was that it? Because I'm still here, right? I'm still alive. Romans 5.4 says, this endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation and this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. When we are utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we are still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God 
was restored by the death of the Son while we were still His enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of His Son. And all of that happened when Jesus was on the cross. So that verse 11 says, So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. The separation has now been turned into a relationship. We've been made right in God's sight again. We're no longer separated from our sin, but our sin is covered, and we have a Heavenly Father. And it is an awesome relationship. Number two, today in paradise is in the blessed presence of Jesus. So the Bible talks about hell, but it also talks about Sheol and Hades, and a lot of times they're misapplied. There were two sides of Sheol. I think I have a picture here. When people died before Jesus came, and the Old Testament was called Sheol or Hades, there was a dividing line. So Jesus talks about this when He talks about Abraham's bosom in um, Luke chapter 16. So there's this two sides of this eternal place, this place of the dead or the dead, the dead spirits. The unbelievers and the fallen angels were on one side and they were separated from the believers in what was considered paradise at that time. And so there were two sides that people would go to when they had died. Another picture shows here that the righteous were waiting for Jesus to come on that side of Sheol so that they could go to be in the presence of Jesus. So where did Jesus go when He was, after He had died on the cross, waiting to be resurrected? There's not a way to know all the places that He went, but First uh, Peter 3.18, on the back of your bulletin, I printed the Apostles' Creed, and I know that you know the Apostles' Creed. But one part of the Apostles' Creed, it says He descended into hell. Did Jesus really descend into hell, or did He descend into the lower earthly regions? And if He descended into hell, what did He go into hell to do. He did not pay a ransom to Satan for our sin because when He died on that cross, He satisfied God's righteous requirement and He owed Satan nothing. So if He did descend down and preach to those spirits, most likely fallen angels, it was probably a victory dance. Jesus didn't go to hell to pay Satan a ransom for our sins, but He might have dropped by to proclaim victory and do a little victory dance. First Peter 3, 18-20 Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but He died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but He was raised to life in the Spirit. So He went and preached to the spirits in prison, those who disobeyed God long ago when God was waiting patiently while Noah was building his boat. Only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. So many people think that Jesus had to go to hell for three days to pay for our sins and torment and everything else, but the Bible doesn't say that. Um, that is a church tradition that's been taught in some circles, but Jesus satisfied the righteous requirements that were required by God the Father. And then Jesus came down from all of His splendor and glory to teach us how to live and set us free so we can be with Him forever in paradise. Ephesians 4.8, that's why the Scriptures say, when He ascended to the heights, He led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to His people. Notice that it says He ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world and at the same time, the one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he himself might fill the entire universe with himself. And it is so awesome to think of all the things that Jesus did and all the things that Jesus accomplished by purchasing our salvation, by making it possible for us to be saved. And Paul talks about heaven in 2 Corinthians 12.1.4. He talks about his boasting. He says, I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. And then he says, whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body. But I do know that I was caught up to paradise 
and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words. No human is allowed to tell. So Bible scholars think that when before Jesus came, there were the two sides of Sheol or Hades, but then when Jesus came, He took the people, the righteous people, out of that place into His presence. So it's not that they're actually in the city of heaven, because we haven't had heaven come to us yet, but heaven is where God is. Paradise is heaven. Heaven is where God, where Jesus is. So when we die, we go directly into the presence of Jesus. And eventually Jesus will return. There'll be a bodily resurrection. There'll be a thousand year reign of Christ on earth. The Bible shows in Revelation chapter 20. Uh, Revelation 19 and 20 talks about heaven. And then we will spend eternity with, with God, with Jesus in the place of heaven. But the biggest, greatest definition is heaven is where Jesus is. So wherever that may be, uh, heaven is where Jesus is, and that's a good thing. So if you look on Right Now Media, if you watch Urban Lutzer's One Minute After You Die, he answers. He has so many questions that he answers. And then if you're looking for something to uh, help you grow this Easter time and you didn't watch it last year when I suggested it, Kyle Eidelman's Easter Experience is really good. The bottom line is... You're one of two thieves on one of two crosses. Though the repentant thief was hanging on a cross with spikes through his hands and through his feet, though he was fighting for every breath, though his life was slipping away, he saw something the other thief missed. When he looked at Jesus, something in his heart changed. We don't know when it was or what caused it. Maybe it was the way that Jesus endured the senseless beating or the torture without ever striking back. It could have been when Jesus hung on the cross, looked toward heaven and said, Father, forgive them, for they don't even know what they're doing. It could have been when the sun and sky went dark at noon. It could have been simply a look as Jesus glanced his way and he saw his unconditional love. Or it could have been that the criminal had heard the stories that Jesus actually loved and befriended sinners. Though we'll never know what it was, we do know that he experienced the love of God through Jesus Christ. When he could do nothing to make things right, with faith, he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus looked at the dying criminal and said, today you will be with me in paradise. But why don't we have communion and uh, tell Jesus uh, through prayer and um, reflection how much we value Him. And if you've never come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, maybe today is the day. Maybe you've been coming to church all the time and you've never responded. And you can acknowledge to Jesus through prayer that you're a sinner. You acknowledge you're a sinner and that you acknowledge Jesus died on the cross for our sins and that you want to be saved and want to follow after Him. You want to to um, 
live for him. You want to be with him forever. You could pray something like, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me of my sins and come into my life and save me and make, you, make me the person you created me to be. I want to spend eternity with you. And maybe you prayed that a long time ago, but you've drifted away. And maybe a better prayer would be, Lord Jesus, I know that I've strayed away. Please help me to recommit myself to you today. Help me to follow after you and to do your will, to follow your ways, to proclaim what I know from your word to others so that they too may be saved. Lord, help me to do that for the rest of my life with the help of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So the guys will come forward and we'll have communion. Uh, Communion is Christ's body broken for us. Uh, As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it, and then he broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, take this and eat it, for this is my body. And then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So it's a musical play. Take the communion wafer and hold it, and then I'll come back up. We'll take it together, and I'll be back in a minute. This is a great time for you to pray and ask the Lord to show you if there's anything in your life that needs to change and recommit your life to him. Let's pray. Jesus, we just thank you so much that you've given us this opportunity in this place to worship you and to grow in you, Lord. Uh, your will is made, made known through Scripture. Your desire has been uh, shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And uh, Lord, we pray that you would help us to live the life that you've created us to live and that we would remember your sacrifice on the cross and not just be so familiar with it that we that we forget how important it is to share it with others and how effective it is and how it changes lives here and around the world. Lord, help us to be Christ followers and to carry our crosses and to be quick to want to lead others to our loving Savior. We take this and we eat. All right, so the music will play and the cups will be passed out and we'll take that together. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that we have the promise that we are eternally secure in you, that when we uh, die in this life, we go directly into your presence, Lord, and there's so much future to look forward to, so much that we don't know about what we will do or what we will become, but we trust you, we love you, we take this and we drink. Thanks for listening. It would be great if you would let us know how you were encouraged by this message. We invite you to visit River Rock Church, 10 a.m. Sundays at 330 South Market Street in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. You can connect with us, find more messages to listen to, and get resources to help you grow in your faith at riverrockchurch.com.